What's your lemonade stand story? He was like, YouTube's going to be the next big thing, Dave. I'm like, you need to get on that. And you get on it early. And I'm like, uh... And all of us, we all go through our own trials, our own, our own level of stuff. Sure hope this works out. Otherwise, this will be a huge waste of time. I mean, what else is it all about other than just taking risks and continuing to try and grow and hopefully yeah. make, get better and better at making things? Most of the billion-dollar brands you've seen were started by people that were just solving a problem for themselves. We're telling Lemonade Stand stories from some of the world's top creators, makers, and go-getters. We're rolling. We're rolling right now. We're rolling right now. Hey, just, uh, we're having fun. We're having fun. We're rolling. Yeah. Hey, guys. This podcast today is sponsored by Yala, a task management and team collaboration software that we use at Lemonade Stand. We use Yala to keep all of our team members organized, wherever they are. In fact, we used it to plan and organize this podcast. Visit yalla.team, that's Y-A-L-L-A dot team, and try it for free. We also have a special offer for all listeners of this podcast. Use promo code LEMONADE and get a lifetime 25% off if you upgrade. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Sharon Prabhakar with the Lemonade Stand Stories podcast, and I'm here with Stephen Hoffman or Captain Hoff, as I, I, I heard uh, as I was researching a little bit about you, Stephen. But, um, man, you know, it's so interesting as we've been, as I've been like discussing with you through email and, and just discussing you right now and doing some research, we have a lot of common interests. I would say you have done so many amazing, amazing things. Currently the founder of Founder Space, which is an incubator that hosts a lot of different companies and startups coming together. Um, you also are an author. You have a, a new book that's just been published, I believe, called Surviving a Startup, which I'm super excited to dive into because you know what we're all kind of doing startups in our own way right whether it's like a traditional tech startup or just starting up a new aspect of your life so i i think there's so many key principles i would love to dive with you in there and then also one of the biggest things that i was like so stoked about is you worked in tv and film which is my background and it continues to be my background and so a lot of a lot of fun things there but yeah, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on board this podcast. Super stoked to have you. Fantastic to be here. And you know, yeah. Captain Hoff is actually my gamer handle. That's and true. then it became my nickname in Silicon okay. Valley. But oh, I'm a huge gamer and That's a amazing. film person and an entrepreneur and a techie, a geek, all of those things. Now, did you grow up with those desires or were you just kind of came up over the time or how did that all happen? Yeah, I was a total nerd. So okay. I was Love into it. like everything, comic books, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, yep. movies, you, you know, science fiction, you name it. I was into it as a kid. You know, yeah. I wanted to be Steven Spielberg at the time. Okay. So I made I made like 50 different movies when I was all the way through high school with all my friends and, yes. and then animations and all the stuff. And then I was also totally into games. So I was designing, I probably designed over a hundred different board games and role-playing games no way. that I would. So all of this was in there. Mm -hmm. And then my father, um, he was literally an MIT rocket scientist. He was a professor wow. at MIT uh, for rocket science. Yeah. And then my mother was an artist. So I sort of got injected with the DNA from both of them. Oh, man, I love that. So did you always have that entrepreneur mindset going growing up as well? Or was it something like, hey, I, I love creating these things. And I want to share them with the world. 
How did that all come? I out? was not an entrepreneur by nature. Like okay. I was a creator. So I just wanted to make stuff and put it out there and see what happens. And surprisingly, being an entrepreneur is very similar to that. Like yeah, absolutely. I think the most entrepreneurs in the world, you know, tend to be very, very creative people. Yeah. No, it really, they really are. And um, it's interesting because I never really considered myself an entrepreneur until I realized, oh, wait, as an actor, I'm kind of selling myself, right? Or I'm, or when I'm making a movie, I'm, I'm trying to sell that movie. So in a sense, I am an entrepreneur. It's just like I had to change my mindset a little bit to, to make that a reality. Well, but, I would um, say every film producer is definitely an entrepreneur because yeah. you, are, you have to raise the money. You have to put everything yes. together. You know, yeah. it's it's a business. At the end of the day, you're either going to make it or break it. Yeah. And it's a big, the film business, because I worked in Hollywood, the parallels to being an entrepreneur are just, it's remarkable. Like it's yeah. the same process. Like you're getting investors, you yes. have this vision, it's going to be a blockbuster that's going to change everything, Yes. Um, but it's extremely risky and very few of them actually succeed. Yes. So the, you know, it's, you got to be that one in a hundred that breaks through that. And it's true. And it's like, I, sometimes you have to like have that mentality of like jumping in with both feet and just seeing what happens, you know, to, to see if you're going to be able to succeed. Right. I think there's, yeah, such, you, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. I say, you know, I worked in, on Sand Hill road, which is where all the venture capitalists work. And yeah. I'm an investor now, but when I was a startup, I was actually incubated in one of the big VC offices. Okay. And I got to see it from the inside at a very early stage. And I will tell you, the business model for venture capitals is the same as the business models for film studios. Okay. They go on a portfolio model. And yeah. what they're looking for is like one out of 10 or one out of 20 of their projects has to be that blockbuster. Has to, and that pays for all the losers. So it's literally the same model. It, it is, right? Like it's the mutual fund mentality right you have to have like tons of different mutual funds tons of different movies or tons of different uh you know like startups and you're kind of funding them all and just ho hoping that one takes care of everything else right is that yes is that how it kind mm -hmm. of feels yeah you know I, I i love that man and it's it's so interesting now i'd love to ask you because you know some people when they have like a lemonade stand story when they're first starting up it's like one particular business but it seems like you've had tons and tons of different interests which is kind of like me like tons of different focuses like with gaming with movies comic books uh so was there a linear path at all for you as far as your first lemonade stand story your first uh, go at uh you know starting a business my life is a zigzag it okay. goes all over the place it yeah. is it is I like to say I've had more careers than cats have had lives. So oh, I love I, that. I've <laughs> yeah. literally, I, you know, I've been a manga rewriter. I've done like just all sorts of crazy stuff. I made my own animation. I've been a voice actor. So I did wow. some of yeah. the acting, yeah. although I wasn't there. You know, yeah. I've uh, produced films, directed them, wrote scripts, uh, worked in TV development, worked at, you know, big Japanese game companies. So it's been really, really crazy. But I will tell you, I don't regret any of it, even the things that didn't work out, because if you don't try, you don't know. And yes. every time I tried, even if it was painful, like even if it was totally imploded, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, I, I took away a lot from that experience. Yeah. So I, okay. You, you said something that I really want to hit on, which is um, if you don't try, you'll never know. Right. But a lot of that involves 
failing, you know, involves like things being like, oh, this didn't work out or that didn't work out. How did you find the resilience to keep going when things didn't work out? Because there's a lot of people I know when things don't work out, they're like, you know what? This isn't for me. Uh, I'm going to go to something a little bit more stable. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's a life choice. Um, How did you keep going though and keep creating when things didn't go the way you wanted them to go? In my first startup, I actually got lucky. So my first startup, I'll tell you that success story, and Please. then I'll tell you the brutal failure that came after that. Okay, okay, so, great. And, and, and so my mentality, my first startup was, I was working for this, well, first I was working in Hollywood, and then I met the founder of this game company, Sega, which had just surpassed Nintendo to become the largest uh, yeah. video game company in the world. He invited me to come to Japan. He wanted somebody from Hollywood to go to Japan and think of new ideas. So I went to Japan. The founder of Sega, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, the chairman, the guy who found it. Unbelievable. I love Sonic the Hedgehog. So keep going. Yeah, this is great. So this was at the height of Sonic, like when when Sonic was like the, you know, bigger than Mario for for a a few months, I guess. Yeah, sure. And so he invited me to their Japanese headquarters. They wanted a Hollywood person there to come up with new ideas for games. And, you know, this is my dream. I told yeah. you my childhood was making games right, and making yeah. movies. And now I got to do both. So, of course, I left Hollywood to go to the future. And and I was there. We were doing this big project with Michael Jackson, of all people. Wow. It was this interactive simulation ride. And it yeah. was just so cool. I got to meet Michael Jackson, all this stuff. I was there. But after a year, being the type of person who wants to do my own thing, mm-hmm. not work on kind of other people's projects or be just, you know, an advisor or idea person, I decided I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I could make these games on my own. So I moved back to California, my home area, which is the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And in San Francisco, I basically started my first company, Lava Mine. And okay. literally, I, you know, I have an engineering background and I have a film and television background. Okay. I don't have a lot of other things, but I love to animate and doodle and draw. So I literally created these whole this 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 game myself. It was like I was drawing the pictures. Yeah. I I was uh coding the code, I was writing the stories, putting it all out there. Was it all you? Like did you have other partners or was it just all you right now? I had my wife. <laughs> so that's great. You know, and she was support, like, she was everything. like I would draw the doodles and she would color them in with like wow. Photoshop and other tools. Love it. And yeah. This is a homemade game. And we just put this out on the market. Like we were like, okay, we're just going to do it. Like we want to make this game. It's called Gazillionaire. And ironically, Gazillionaire, it was, the game was designed to teach you how to be an entrepreneur. And you were like this. Yeah, that's so great. This, you were supposed to become a gazillionaire and you were, it took place in the galaxy of Gog. It was, you were a trader and you traded these weird commodities like lava mm-hmm. lamps and jelly beans. And it taught you how to run a business. Wow. We put this out there, literally um, uploading it. It was the early days of the internet. It almost didn't exist, but we uploaded it to what were called BBSs, bulletin boards, right? And okay. uploaded it there. And then we waited and People literally had to mail us in a check because there was no e-commerce. So uh, we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then we get this check, our first uh, check. And it was from none other than Lord Geck. Okay. <laughs> you can imagine what, wait, 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 wait. on these bulletin boards, but Lord okay. Geck, like okay. the biggest ge- game geek in the world, right? Love it. And yeah. He just, 
he just happened to live in the Bay Area. So we invited Lord Gek over to our house. And he's this big dumpy guy with his goatee who's a total nerd. And he was our first, you know, we had dinner with him because he bought our game. It's amazing. We were were off to the movies. Our lemonade stand was profitable. No, we weren't profitable, but we had $15. And, And then we all of a sudden we heard that the largest PC game company in the world at the time was SpectraPro's uh, um, uh, MicroPro's Spectrum Holobyte. And MicroPro's was a company that had launched, uh, Sid Meier's company, they had launched Civilization, all these amazing games. And uh, their QA team, their quality assurance team, the testers, basically the people who spend all day testing games, had downloaded our game and got hooked on it. Like they were hooked on it. Okay. So they called us in. And um, you, the president had just come over from Mattel, the big toy company, yeah. and he was this new president of this growing game company. And he basically said, we want to publish your game. And we we're like, awesome. Yeah. But we want to hold all the rights. Like, we don't want to give you anything because this is our baby. And if it doesn't, oh. you know, we're already selling it ourselves. Yeah. And we know we can do this. And if it doesn't go, we don't want you to kill it. Because all I cared about was that the game would be available forever. Right. And so we negotiated like a crazy hard deal where we got everything and we got that deal because they were behind schedule with their big game that they had spent millions of dollars on Star Trek. Like they had licensed it and and it flipped into the it didn't make the calendar year. So they had to book revenue like for their Uh, shareholders. They were a public company. And so there are donkey little game that we've created and drawn ourselves was what they had to ship like literally before. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And. So we got every term we wanted and they shipped the game and it just did incredibly well. We got incredible reviews, even though the game was like crude, like totally outdated. The sure. gameplay and and I think the personality struck people. People were just like, huh. I love this game. Like, yeah. And so the game did well. We launched a series of these games and they they all did well. And then um uh, so we were, we were, I was flying high. And then my partner from yeah. film school, she called me up. She was in New York working for RGA, this big uh, design firm. Um, and she said, um, I had, she had just done a project with an engineer from Microsoft, the first like casual, massively multi-user online game. And she says, mm-hmm. I want to start a company with you. And I was like, yes, yes, yeah. let's start this company together. Yeah. So we stopped doing Lava Mine because Lava Mine was making money, but it wasn't like, this was big. Like we were going to do a sure. massively, we we're going to enter the, the we we're going to be the future. So we are going to build massively multiplayer online games and we are going to get venture funding, do the whole thing. So yeah. <laughs> we dive into this venture. Yeah. It was literally a roller coaster ride, like insanity. Uh, like okay. we went through many iterations of different products. We did. We actually launched uh, the first um, really popular JavaScript plugin okay. as a game. Like it was a chat game. You you chat and play games, word games as yeah. you chatted. Like it was totally. You, nobody had ever seen anything like it, and it got massive distribution. We won South by Southwest, the the number Amazing. one top, yeah. top prize, like right out of the bat. We were like, we got it made. And then we, but we had no way to make money. Like literally uh, the, uh, this, uh, ju- this game that people, hundreds of websites had plugged in, uh, there was no revenue model. It was the very early days of the internet. Yeah, like JavaScript. Like e-commerce they, is not that stuff, right? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. But we found out that a company had just launched online advertising. We thought, oh, online advertising is going to be huge. Uh, yeah. We have all these users. We'll just plug it in. So we redesigned it. We put ads in it. 
We put it up there and we waited. A month later, we got our first check. Okay. And you know what? Hmm. That first check was less than Lord Geck had paid us no for way. our game gazillion. Oh man. It was like we couldn't even buy a pizza with it because there was no ad market. There were nobody buying right. these, you know, they were paying pittance for these ads. It wasn't sure. like today, like where Google, you know, Google made all this money off ads, like there's yeah. gazillions of dollars. We we couldn't and we had to survive. Like, let's face it, like we needed money. We were spending money, we had servers, hosting, you know, there was no yeah. AWS. It was quite expensive to launch one of these projects in these days. So we were like desperate. Um, we were like, we have to figure this out. We need a bit, we need somebody yeah. to pay us. And then we heard through the grapevine that MTV, which was at its height right then, that was yeah. like when MTV was really huge and yeah. you know it's part of Viacom, they wanted to do the first massive uh interactive television show. And they had oh, gotten cool. Frank Zappa's son, Ahmet Zappa, like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to be the host. And it was a music trivia game show that would air on MTV. And they needed a company to actually build the interactive piece so people could play along online yeah. and literally in real time, put their feed, uh, their um, the scores, the winners online into the TV show so that the players at home could win big prizes, like just like the contestants on air and yeah. get their name like on MTV. So we... We heard about this through the grapevine and we kept calling MTV. We got the number of the senior vice president of interactive at MTV yeah. and we leave messages on his voicemail saying, uh, you know, this is Spider yeah. Dance. That was the crazy yeah. name of our company. And we have the platform you're looking for. And you know what? He never called back. He never called. <laughs> he, never, he just totally ignored us. Wow. Um, and then my friend, because she was at RGA, which was very well known and had done this big project for Microsoft, she got invited to speak at CES, you know, the okay. big conference, right? Yeah. And so she got on panel and then she was now, we're now her own company. So she started to talk about our platform and mm -hmm. she started to describe what we wanted to build, like she, but as if we were building it, like she was saying, we have this massively multi-user game system. Yeah. We're going to be synchronizing it to television so we can be the first big interactive TV company. And she gave her talk. And then afterwards, this guy comes running up from the audience, pushes his way right through no her way. and says, I need to talk to you. And she looks at him. She goes, I am the senior vice president of MTV. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> and she so looked at good. him. She goes, she goes, I know you. We've been leaving voicemails for you. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, you have exactly what I need. Literally, you know, a month, so within a month, we yeah. had signed a big deal with MTV. We had gotten our, our seed funding our $350,000, yeah. which basically, and we promised MTV, we said, no problem, we can build this. Like the fact was we had the massively multi-user game engine, right? Yeah. And we had the talent to build it, but we knew nothing about on-air broadcasts. We knew nothing about yeah. synchronizing internet with to an on-air broadcast frame accurate. Like literally yeah. it has to be, because if it isn't, people will cheat. They'll see it on TV first. And sure. then if there's a lag time, they'll know the answer and they'll yeah. cheat. Like, so it literally has to synchronize perfectly and then yes. fit, fed back into, we knew nothing. Anyway, we went through nine months of crazy hell trying to get this like conceptualized, like we had to design it and build it and launch yeah. it. MTV's freaking out um, because the closer we get to launch date, they, they, in these days, big companies didn't trust startups. It's not like today. It's like yeah. they looked at a startup and they're like, you're going to fuck up. And yeah. I hope I can say that on your podcast. And we... Yeah are going to 
we are going to look really bad. And like the yeah. senior, you know, and basically he was going to lose his job if, yeah. if things didn't go perfectly. His job was sure. on the line. And, you know, people get stressed out in the entertainment business when it's yeah. on air. They go, television isn't like this internet stuff. Like yeah. we, it works every time. Like, yeah. it, and, and so we, you know, we had a tiny team of 10 people. We were like yeah. completely working day and night to right. get this launched. Then we had a venture capital deal predicated on getting this funded. The venture capital, told, and it was by these big Hollywood guys, you know, the former uh, head of NBC Universal, the person who, uh, Michael Milken, you know, the mm -hmm. junk bond king, all these people were in on this deal. And they were like, they were like, we will give you the money, but only if it launches perfectly. And we're like, okay, oh, so man. we have double okay. the pressure on us because yeah. we're spending every dime we have to get this project on air. Oh man. We launched it. All eyes were on us. MTV did this massive television marketing yes. campaign. And we had negotiated, again, a great deal where we owned the entire server platform. They were just our customer. And they had to put our name on air, like literally everywhere oh, wow. across the country. Okay. Like, so our name was everywhere. And we launched this up after all these TV ads. Users just started to flood in. Now, in these days, there was no scalable system. There was no AWS. We had literally um, had to co-locate servers in a in a server facility in Monmouth that nobody had ever heard of like, and build yeah. it all out ourselves, basically build out AWS. And we had no way to test it, to load yeah. test it. There was no way to know how much, and it was very early. They didn't have these tools. Like For sure. we didn't know if it would work. <clears throat> you, you know, users just started yeah. to flood into there. And then all of a sudden our servers went down. No. I got a call from the senior vice president of MTV, and you don't know the expletives he was using on the phone. Oh my gosh. What the blank, blank, blank is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Your thing just crashed 10 minutes into the show and we <laughs> nobody oh, can get on. no. So I'm like, just wait a second, calm down. Let me talk to our engineers. Like, yeah. <laughs> so engineers calling them up. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> thing is down. They're like, somebody has is doing a denial of service attack on us. Literally, some nefarious person out there no was, they had heard about all the TV ads. It had gotten so much hype that they wanted to be a troll and bring us down. Oh like, my gosh. If it wasn't course. hard enough for us to even accommodate the of users, course. now we yeah. had this massive denial of service attack. So they were out there blocking IP addresses manually. They had, they had nothing like Cloudflare or all the tools we have today that will do it for you automatically. Literally, yeah. they were manually trying to block these oh IP addresses. And a couple of minutes later, back online. We yeah. were back on business. And we were like, it was a denial service attack. We got it blocked. We're back in business. The show went flawlessly after that. Uh, and, okay. you know, we breathed an enormous sigh of relief. And so did they. Yeah. And, we went back out to our VCs, like, and we were like, okay, we have spent all our money. We have signed the contract with you. We've run up a huge, you know, 60,000 in legal fees with our lawyer. Um, we need you to pay it. We need you to like fork up the money, you yeah. know? And they turned to us and these were Hollywood guys, like sharks. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's face it. Uh, they don't call them vulture capitalists for nothing, but these are yeah. sort of vulture capitalists combined with Hollywood sharks, like okay. the worst of the worst. The right? worst of the worst. Um, and they looked at us and they basically said, we know you need our money, but we are going to tell you what. We will invest everything. We promise we'll give you the five million bucks. We promise, but at half the valuation. And we're okay. like, what? 
You told yeah. us like double the why are you changing? Well, because we think we we you know we should invest at half the valuation. We became so pissed off. Like we needed this money. And the smart thing would have been to take the money at half the valuation, honestly, yeah. because we were totally out of money. We had no yeah. other VCs interested. We had nothing. Like yeah. we thought this is a done deal. But we were so mad. We were like, we don't want those people. We don't want to talk to those people, let alone have them on our board of directors and have to even work with them after they're yeah. screwing us over. Yeah. So we said, no. The problem was it was literally weeks before Christmas. And as everybody in Silicon Valley knows, everything shuts down at Christmas. Yeah. Like all the VCs go home. Like there is no way you're going to get funded until after CES. So it's like been a calendar year. Like, yeah. And that was the worst Christmas we ever had. We were like oh, in man. the pits. I would tell you, like <laughs> we, we went back to CES expecting to celebrate. Like we had already bought our plane tickets sure, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were like expecting to like celebrate our funding and our great success with MTV. You know, the yeah. show was on air. But right now we had to keep the show on air, which is enormously expensive. We had to beg our employees not to take any salary. Like we had, uh, you know, we are totally oh, out of money. Yeah. And we stayed in the crappiest flea bag in, in Las Vegas that you can imagine. And we didn't even have energy to go to the show. We were like so depressed. Like we were just oh, lying man. Oh my gosh. Like we can't go through this again with another venture capitalist. Like it's yeah. too torturous. We get back. Uh, we are... Uh, we, we were like, CS has ended. Finally, the VCs are trickling back in and starting to take calls. We get in, we don't give up. So this is a point where a lot of people will give up. Yeah, like, yeah, we're like, we're not going to give up. Like, we have to get this funded. We've done, we put our heart and soul into of this. Course. Like, everything. Yeah. Like, we've suffered so much to get this online and make it work perfectly. Yeah. We, um, so what, what happens is basically... I get a, an introduction to a company called Macromedia. Now, Macromedia eventually became Adobe. They're what you know as Adobe. Today. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they invited me in. And we were actually using their product, their early product called Director, which is a precursor to Flash. And the president called me in and says, I heard about your show on MTV. You know, will you uh, uh, make your latest version in Flash? And I go, Absolutely. If you'll fund yeah. us, we will do it yes, in flash. Of no yeah. problem. We will figure this out. Yeah. And he goes, great. Well, I can't fund you unless you get a VC on board. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, that, yeah. you know, that, like that's, that's the problem. Egg, like man. if we had a VC on board, we wouldn't really need you. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, but I, I will tell you what, I will introduce you to some VCs. And I said, okay, great, great. We will do it in Flash if you introduce us to VCs and join the deal. Yeah. So he invites us to a VC, one of the top VCs on Sand Hill Road. We go into their office. And, you know, I've been trying for a year now to raise venture capital. Yeah. And I only got that one party interested. I wasn't a very good salesman at the time. I was like literally awful. Like, like I, didn't tough, know how to, yeah. I didn't know how to sell. I was a nice guy. I'd always tell them the truth, you know, like we were running out of money. You know, I just wasn't good at negotiating. But I learned during this, this, this mm -hmm. past year that you, you, it's like a poker game. Like you have to be able to play poker. But so I realized that the Macromedia, as the president, as nice as they were being to me, um, this was a test. They were going to bring me into one VC and he actually came to that meeting to watch me pitch. And he was going, it, he said he'd introduced me to a lot, but literally if I didn't hit it out of the park on this one, 
he was probably going to walk away. And that's just wow. what people do, right? So it's a yeah. test. So I'm under a lot of pressure. And our company's about to go under in two weeks. Like, there's no way we can pay the hosting yeah. fees or anything else. They're gonna, we're, we're dead in the water. Um, so I go into this meeting, um, and I start, uh, and I do my best pitch. I, like, pitch like crazy. And the VC, at the end of the meeting, he's, like, stone-faced. Like, he looks at me, and at the end of the meeting, he, he turns to me, and he goes, can you excuse me for a minute and walks out of the room? No. He left me there with the, the president of, you know, Macromedia Adobe. And I look at him and he looks at me and we don't know what to think. And we're yeah. like, oh my God. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. it's over. Yeah, it was, yeah, he, walks, it's, he, he walks back in a few minutes later and then he goes, here's the term sheet. I want to give you $7 million and I want you to what? sign right now. I was like, I had like waited months and months and months and months to yeah. get a term sheet that turned out not to be what it was. Yeah. He was giving me a term sheet at the original valuation the other investors walked away from, but more money than I had asked for, extra yes. $2 million. And I was like, I want to sign that term sheet like right now. Like, right. But then I got a hold of myself and I'm like, if you act desperate, like if you... Yeah. Like, I didn't tell him, like, we were running on fumes. We were about to go bankrupt. I didn't tell. I just told him the good stuff. Our show went flawlessly. Sure. We, like, have MTV. We're going to line up other partners. And I literally said, no, I will not sign that term sheet. Because that is more money than we asked for, which, mm -hmm. in essence, lowers our valuation. Yeah. Even though, let's, be, let's face it, I was super happy to have Of course, of course. But what I told him in our poker game was I said, you know what? I will accept $6 million, not seven, six, but only if you can close the deal and get that money to me in two weeks. So he thinks I don't need the money because I just, I'm ready to yeah. walk. And yeah. he was like, absolutely. We'll get you the money in two weeks. We'll close this deal because usually it takes a month more to close these deals, sometimes two months. You know, I'd been through a process that was several months <laughs> that mm -hmm. didn't happen. So I wanted to know in two weeks, like yeah. we needed that money in two weeks. He said, I'll do it. And literally I signed the term sheet with the money in the bank two weeks later. We no were off. Way. We opened up uh, Spider Dance in Hollywood. You know, I moved from Silicon Valley down to LA. Yeah. We had these big offices on Venice Boulevard. We lined up NBC, History Channel, uh, Game Show Network, Warner Brothers. Company, you know, all the major studios were coming on board with us. It was yeah. amazing. We were at the top of our game. And then we actually... Um, we actually uh, hit a point where a big public company came to us and said they wanted to buy us. They were like, we're going to write you a huge check. We're going to buy you. You're the number one interactive TV company in the world today. And our investors stepped in and they said, no. They said, okay. we don't want to sell. You're, they're, they're not offering enough money. Like we could get double or triple that or even yeah. more. We could go public. No way. Like this was the dot-com era, right? Yeah. What we didn't know is that we were six months away from uh, the dot-com bubble bursting. So when we oh, turned yeah. down that offer, <laughs> we oh, couldn't man. look in our crystal ball and see what yeah. was right around the corner. Sure. And you asked for the hardest thing that I ever experienced. Literally six months later after we turned down the deal, even though we had all these major media companies as our clients, yeah. the total market just Crashed. imploded like overnight yeah. like literally 
NBC had an interactive group at the time that was 250 people, which was big for the time, like really big. Yeah. And that, you know, and I went back into their office after the implosion happened. They had three people, <laughs> like no three way. people. And they looked at me and they turned to me and go, you know, we are really happy to be running uh, your uh, show. Like your show is great. The interactive, it works perfectly, but we aren't going to pay you anything. Like, and honestly, we were selling out the ads. We can't even do that. We don't even have that support anymore. So literally you have to sell out these interactive ads <laughs> and make the money. And all our other customers, Warner Brothers, you name it, they all started turning to us, mm. you know, and they all started saying interactive TV is great, but it's totally experimental for us. Like it's you, we will not pay you for this anymore. You literally have to start, um, you have to, you have to figure out how to make money. But there was okay. no ad market for normal ads, let alone for these interactive, interactive television ads. ads. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just totally, there. it didn't exist. So they were basically offering the interactive ads to their customers, you know, their big customers, their big advertisers as a bonus. They weren't really making money and then they were mm. paying us. But now that the bubble exploded, advertising revenue on TV was plummeting because all the dot-coms were no longer spending, yeah. you know, so that they had to cut everything. So we were left in this precarious position wow. where we had no money, no customers, and no VC wanted to fund anything at this time unless it was an absolutely sure deal. And we were yeah. far from sure. Yeah. So literally, it was so painful. I had to let, we watched our baby die slowly, like as our money depleted. Oh, you know, man. we had that $6 million and we layered on top of that a lot of debt financing, millions and millions of debt financing. But we were right at the point then where we were, we were ready to raise more money. Like we were out of money. Yeah. And literally, I had to start laying off our employees. We could barely keep it. was all back to like the day where we could barely keep our servers running. Only yeah. this time, like our customers weren't paying us and VCs just weren't going to fork up the money. Like, yeah. you know, they were all retreating. Like they were in full retreat mode. The dot-com bubble was over. Like, yeah. so there was no way out. I lit, what all I could do was our, the venture bank that had loaned us millions of dollars, we might've been able to keep running except we had huge interest payments on these millions yeah. and millions of dollars that we couldn't meet. And they had hired an ex-Marine to actually come in and bully the companies because they were in bankruptcy, like because oh all gosh. their companies were going back. So an ex-Marine yeah. comes up to me and he's like, you must pay us. Like, we want the money now. We're coming in to repossess everything. And I turned to him and I was like, you can have everything. <laughs> Literally take all our furniture, yeah. take it, you know, we can't even pay the rent. We're like way overdue on, on the rent for our office yeah. space. Like we, we're not going to keep that furniture anyway, or the computers. And I did a deal with him. I basically said, look, you take the IP that we have and, uh, and forgive our debt because that's all we have of value is the intellectual property. And I cut that deal and we walked away. Wow. But I will tell you, I had given, given it all up, right? We had no more intellectual property. We wow. couldn't, all the stuff we had built, we couldn't use. Um, so painful. I, mm. I can't tell you, I blamed myself, right? Because of part course. of it was, I should have taken that deal, right? I shouldn't have listened. You know, I could say it was the investor's fault, but I was the CEO. I, I owned, and we still, uh, the partners and the, the four partners in the company, we own the majority of shares. We actually could have overridden the VC and sold out at the height of the market. We didn't do that. And so I blame myself. And what I learned, I, I had this negative script running in my head, telling mm. myself over and over and over again, 
you failed. You're a failure. You shouldn't be a CEO. You, how could you possibly go through this again, where you invest your whole life and soul into this project only yeah. to have it, you know, crater like this. because yeah. of a, a decision you made? Yeah. Mm. And I go, and and then I, you know, this went on for months. This kind of depression, this, I was this negative talk. This I yeah. couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. yeah, and I and I couldn't forgive myself, and and I, uh, it was just awful. But then I start to listen. You're playing the script in your head over and over and over again about, uh, you know, the mistake you made, how how you are a failure, how you know you can't yeah. go through this again. All if you listen to the script, all of those things will come true. Like literally, that mm. will be your life from this point on. And you're young. You're in your twenties. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, you know, you did an amazing job. You should look at the positives. Like, you achieved an amazing thing in, a, in an incredibly short amount of time. And then life throws you curveballs. Like, you cannot. Yeah. You couldn't have predicted these things. And you never know what the right choice is at the time. The information is incomplete. So I decided yeah. to rewrite the script in my head and wow. tell myself. Not say I didn't make mistakes because that would just be delusional, right? Like I could say, you know, I would admit I made a mistake, right? And I yeah. could have had a different path. But also say that this isn't the end of things. This is just the beginning. This is just another one of your crazy adventures like that you are yeah. about to go on. You're in your 20s. You have so many more opportunities ahead of you. Just pick yourself up and go. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And, and well, let, me, let me ask you something real quick. Um, how did you get the strength to do that? How did you get the strength to like change the story in your head? Because that's a, because that's a very like, it's a very enlightened perspective to finally pull yourself back almost. And like have an out of body experience watching those narratives and being like, this narrative isn't serving me. They're just bringing me down a little bit more, you know, and I need to rewrite the story so I can have a better future. I, I need to rewrite it so I can realize, Hey, I'm still in my twenties. I've got tons and tons of opportunities. How did you get to that point? Uh, because it's that tough. was the hardest part, right? Because when you fail, um, it's really hard for me being a creator. Um, and I think it's hard for anybody who really builds something to separate your own identity from what you were working on, because yeah. what you were working on is so much part of your identity. Like, mm -hmm. like it is your, and, and your I'm baby, the type of person. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm the type of person, like a lot of people out there who tend to be entrepreneurs is we're always looking to prove to ourselves through our next uh, challenge, yeah. whether we're, we're really up to the par to do it. And I had succeeded in, in a reasonable way with my first company, but that was a, a small business, right? Yeah. It was a lucrative business, but it wasn't like this huge you know, thing that we were doing in my second company. And then the second one, it, you know, I felt like I could have done more. Like I could have seen it coming. I could have mm -hmm. pivoted the company. I, there were things, and there probably were things that I could have and should have done, but I didn't. And what I had to do is you have to recognize that your reality is what you make it, make of it, right? We all, there is no absolute reality. This is my belief. All reality is, is a combination of your mindset, what you, uh, how you perceive things, how you internalize things, and what actually happens out in the world, yeah. right? That you can't really separate them. But what you have to look for is moving forward. It's not what happened in the past. What happened in the past happened in the past. Like you cannot change that. Yeah. But you can change the direction you go and what mm. you do moving forward. 
So you need to look at the possibilities and say, I am talking to myself now. We all have this constant dialogue running in our head, like continuously, yeah. like we're arguing, debating, criticizing yeah. ourselves, complimenting ourselves. You know, what you know, yeah. we go through these like it's, you know, all I believe every human being is a schizophrenic. Like we have different parts. Totally. Like we have one yeah. part that looks at ourselves. One we might have multiple personalities, one part that's really critical, one part that really loves ourselves, one part yeah. that really, you know, yeah. is really not another part that is kind of what has some wisdom in it and where all these yeah. voices are going on in this dialogue and you can shift between them mm -hmm. and i started to say we i you know we actually have control over these voices these voices we can uh influence what voices we listen to in our head and i decided to amplify the voices that would open up more opportunities for me rather than the voices that were being self-critical and shutting doors and putting myself down Mm. because you you could listen to them and there's some truth in all of these voices. That's the problem, right? But you can amplify or diminish, mm. turn up the volume or down the volume. These voices are still there. They never go away. They're sort of part of how we're programmed yeah. as human beings, right? Yeah. They never go away. They were influenced by your parents, by your friends, by your sure. own circumstances. Genetics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And your genetics. A lot of it's your genetics. Like some people tend to be always optimistic. Other people yeah. are always pessimistic. I'm somebody who varies between the two, right? Yeah. You know, somewhere in the middle. Um, so I decided to turn down the negative dials, turn up the positive dials, and also listen to the voices that would allow me to learn from what I had done so that mm -hmm. I could not just paper it over and make the same mistakes again, but actually admit, okay, next time in this situation, what would you do different? So I went through that whole scenario, right. like next time in this situation, you know, I'm going to go with my gut instinct and, you know, it's my first startup. I should have just sold like, yeah. yeah. How much, like how rich do you need to be like in your first yeah. startup, you know, you know, and then you get a good thing on your track record. That would have been the conservative thing to go do yeah. instead of roll the dice. But then again, that's hindsight too. That, you know, of you course. never knew, like I might've like yeah. thrown out a, a, a unicorn just to get, you know, you know, a, a much smaller payoff sure. just because I was worried that it wouldn't pay off. So mm -hmm. being an optimistic guy by, you know, I, I, when I do something, I believe it's going to succeed. So of course I said, this will be bigger. Like yeah. you, as an entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs tend to be overly optimistic, most successful sure. ones. So I was, so was that the wrong decision? Actually, maybe not, right? It might not have been the wrong decision. Not in the long term, you know? Right. right. So, and all these things are who you are anyway. So you can't, you know, you yeah. are who you are, what decisions you make. So I just decided in order to move forward, I need to, uh, I need to uh, tell myself the things, uh, uh, the, the story, you know, we're all creating stories in our life. Our life, our stories, the lives are stories we tell ourselves and tell yeah. other people and see the reflection in their eyes and the proof from real life. So I decided the story I'm going to tell myself is not the story of how I failed miserably, how I screwed up, how yeah. I could have done things differently. It's the story of how this has been an amazing experience. Like, and I was yeah. so, it, I was yeah. so fortunate to even go have all the good things I had and actually move forward with this. And that story will allow me to open up new opportunities because I'm going to try again. I'm going to yeah. do another startup. I'm going to do more projects. Yeah. And I don't care now if they fail because I know they won't, it won't kill me. Mm. I love that because now you have like detached yourself in a sense. Your, your value is not based off of the outcome of your business. You know, it, I mean, there's like a huge part of it, but it's just like, 
but at the same time, it's like, if, if it doesn't go well, you're still going to keep going. You know what that's I mean? absolutely doing. right. You summed it up perfectly. I should have said that myself. No, that that's is, great. That is a perfect, the, the, the moral of this story that I'm telling you is that the value shouldn't be based on outcome because you can't control the outcome. You yeah. can only control your actions and then your reactions to yes. what happens. Well, I mean, look, 2020 is a perfect example of that, right? When, when COVID hit, it like shut so many people down. So many industries uh, uh, came down and, and I, you know, I have a buddy of mine who's a, uh, he's an entrepreneur himself and he came up with like a really cool idea involving involving like an adventure hunt, like kind of like a scavenger hunt for like corporations and stuff where they'd go to like really exotic places and do all these things. And his business was taken off. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, of course COVID hits and you can't travel anymore. You can't do anything anymore. And, and he's just like, and, and I could tell like he was very defl- uh, deflated because it's like, well, what are you supposed to do? But he's still trying to figure out different ways to innovate and come up with different things. And now that things are kind of opening back up, it'll probably pick back up again. But yeah, it's very interesting um, what happens to people when they're, um, yeah, just like something that they're like really going for, putting all their energy into does not like bear the fruit that they want it to bear. And the thing is, is like, as an actor, I feel like this has been my life, you know, like, it's like, it's like a life of rejection, but it's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I finally got to this point where I'm like, wow, okay, I'm still alive. I'm still kicking. You know, I I didn't get that. Being an actor prepares you perfectly for being an entrepreneur because you have to deal with this rejection. You also have to not internalize it and make it about you, right? Just because they rejected you for the part doesn't mean you're a bad actor, right? It just means, you know, maybe you weren't who they envisioned in this role. Right. You know, and it's it's so interesting. I, I remember I would have so many auditions. Cause I, oh my gosh, I don't even know how many auditions I did in LA, maybe like a thousand. I don't know. So many, you know, and, um, I would have auditions where I would go out and I thought I just did the best job. I thought I like nailed it. And the casting director was like really excited about the connection that we had when we were doing the audition. No, no callback. No, like, no, nothing. No. And, I'm like, and that's so painful. And how can you not question yourself like, at that I? point? And then there were times I remember where I went in and I bombed it. I, I know I bombed it. Like I was kicking myself out the door. I'm like, why am I even in this business? And the next day they're like, hey, you got the part. And I'm like, what <laughs> is happening right now? Nothing makes sense. And so I, I'm like, okay, the, there is something, there's an outer force at, at play here. I don't have control over everything. But like you said, having the, like, the ability to know how to act and react to situations instead of like panicking and, and like thinking that your attachment or value is based off of like how the successful outcome. your company is, you know? Yes. So I love that. I, I absolutely love that. So now where are you in life? Like wh- wh- where is all of those things landed you? Cause you now said you're a, you're you yourself are an investor. You're the founder of uh, founder space. How did that all come about? Yeah. So I have a hundred more stories to tell, but I won't tell all those that are in between. I'll jump to the present day. Okay. Well, listen, I I would love to hear those stories. Maybe we can do another revisit podcast down the road, but this, because I'm just so fascinated by, you know, this whole thing. So, so in the present day, I ended up starting an incubator. So after I did three venture funded startups and two bootstrap startups, I decided I am going to do an incubator because I love, I've learned a lot. Right. And I love mentoring and working with entrepreneurs. I, you know, it, 
I love the ideas. I love the adventure. I don't necessarily want to go on that roller coaster ride every time, but yeah. to be an observer of it and to be a, a, a help on the sidelines is great. So right now, we started Founder Space in San Francisco mm -hmm. and basically launched in a big way um, over the past. We've been doing it 10 years. So we've been doing it quite some time. And we have worked with entrepreneurs from all over the world. In fact, we have expanded to the point where we have 50 partners in 22 countries. Wow. And so it, I, before COVID, I was traveling like 70% of the time, everywhere. And when COVID hit, it was really tough on us too, because we, an incubator is a physical space. We were physically bringing people and we had to move everything online and shut down our physical space. And we had actually had a huge success overseas in Asia. In China, in particular, like I'm super famous in China. Like I, I like in the startup world, like everybody knows me. Huh. And we had opened our incubators, founder space in in cities like Shenzhen, Hangzhou, Nanjing, Xi'an, all these major cities. You know, my books have been bestsellers there. And um, but COVID hit, and China literally closed off. Like they became this mm. little bubble. Now our incubators are still running in China, but I haven't even been back since COVID started. Wow. I hope now that, you know, it's on the decline, there'll be a chance for me to travel again. Yeah. And I'm traveling like around the country now, the U.S., since yeah. I got my shot. But um, life has been crazy. Like, just like your friend had their, you know, COVID hit their startup, it hit us. But I always see that as, you know, t today, those things don't phase me. Today, it's just like par for the course. Like, something crazy is going to happen. Like, yeah. you know, you could... Everything, like when I became famous in China, it literally happened overnight. Like these things happen. Like I didn't know anything was happening. I gave a talk with Tencent, you know, the big company Tencent, and it was broadcast nationally. And I didn't even know it was broadcast nationally. But then all these people started coming up to me and they said, you, you know, you're super famous. Like, and, and then I had to tell myself at that time, it was funny. I told myself, yeah, but this will pass too. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, whatever yeah. happens, like it's like it's not gonna, it's not yeah. gonna last. You know, it actually has lasted, but I can't get in the country, so it doesn't really do me yeah. much good. So, yeah, yeah. So it might as well be another planet, right? Yeah, it's another yeah. planet. Like, yeah. and our countries have moved apart, so it's yeah. like the world has changed so much since I started there. Uh, but what I will tell you is that every time one of those things kind of closes off because the situation changes, something else opens up. Yeah, and. That's that, a powerful perspective to have. Yes. Know. And so what you should do is instead of focusing on what you just lost because it's, you know, you, you, you can't go there because of COVID or whatever reason, focus on what are the opportunities now? Like yeah. that may be like even more amazing or at least different and like send you and allow you to create more stories in your life so that you can live this life that you look back upon and you're like, oh my God, it was yeah. so amazing. Like yeah. I, I did all those things that I never thought I would do. Yeah, I love that, man. And that's a great way and a great recipe for living a very abundant life, I think. Because it's, you know, there's like that saying, like, when God closes a door, he opens a window, that type of thing, right? And and I really believe that's that's true. In my own life, I've seen so many things where projects that I, and I'll specifically say film projects, because that's where I was, you know, where my my energy and stuff was focused a lot of projects did not work. They just did not happen, right? And you put so much energy in all this stuff and it just kind of like, kind of crashed and burned. But oh, completely. But, <laughs> but with that, with that, um, I built all these like really cool relationships with people. And I'm like, okay, cool. 
well, we can still do other projects together with, exactly. and do like different things, you know? And, um, and, it's and I'm really super, cool I'm super receptive to like when people contact me. So when people come to founder yeah. space and reach out to me, I'm like, I'll listen, like I'll yeah. hear if they have something interesting, I'll yeah. engage like, because you never yeah. know where that great thing is coming from. No. And, and, and it's, and that's, what's so great too. Like you, you know, you kept yourself very open and like, and, and you're very receptive and, and helping empower people. And I, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's just awesome. Um, I kind of want to like shift topics a little bit now and kind of go more into like, um, I apologize, my, my computer's texting. Um, I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, you've had some pretty big ups and downs in, in your, in your uh, career, but now you've, you're at this place where you, now you can empower the future. You can empower like the, the future entrepreneurs and stuff. And you love sitting in the sidelines, not necessarily going on the roller coaster, but like being able to say, Hey, you know what? I can't wait to help you guys out in your own journey. Um, what now brings you the greatest source of joy? I will tell you, um, the greatest source of joy is, you know, I am on the sidelines, but I'm also in the thick of it. So okay. Founder Space is literally my next startup. So, and it's as full of as many surprises as any startup ever was. So yeah. I'm still going on that roller coaster ride here, experiencing the highs yeah. and the lows. And the greatest joy to me is still, is the same as when I was very young. I told you I like to create stuff and put it into the world and yeah. see what happens. So I started creating movies and, and games, my own games at a very young age. And I feel like I'm still doing that. I feel like I'm still a kid. So whether yeah. it's an entrepreneur that comes to me and I can uh, help them, you know, get over an obstacle, realize something, you know, contribute to their product because I've designed a lot of products. So I'll go into not just detail on like how they should raise money, what capital they need, you know, who they should talk to, but I'll actually get nitty gritty on the product. Like, why did you put that button there? You know, yeah. and that is really fun. And, you know, what yeah. user experience is re what's really working with the users, all those things. That, you know, when I engage with like minds, people mm. who are uh, really passionate about what they do, who really um, have a vision for to, to bring something to life, and I can be part of that and contribute to it, that is my reward. That is my candy mm. every day. I love that. You know what? Because the thing is, is, even as you're speaking about that, I saw you come alive even more, you know? And I, and I think that's just the, the, the key, right? It's like, you know, uh, how do you stay young all the time? Right. And how do you, right. how do you do those things? Right. And, and for me, like it, it's like having those experiences or, or creating things like you're saying, um, it was interesting because just last week I was finishing up this film I was working on. And as a part of the art end sequence, there was a sequence where we were all like our, the actors uh, were all sitting in like these derby demolition derby cars doing donuts and spinning around and like, oh. pretending to shoot aliens. Yes. And I remember thinking like, I cannot believe that this is my life. This is amazing that this is my life still, you know, and I'm having such a blast doing it. But I, I think that the idea of like being able to empower it, other people and be never, part of their product, you know, be part of their product and then never give up any dream. Like, yeah. I don't want to say this is what I do. Like people try to pigeonhole people like, yeah. you know, I'm a venture capitalist or, you know, I'm just, you know, yeah. a, a technical person. So I always want possibilities open. So I'm always yeah. like looking for new projects. Like if you were doing another film and you said, Steve, do you yeah. want to come and help out on this film? And I was yeah. available. 
I would probably just say yes, you know? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Nothing to do with what I'm doing, but you know, it would be an amazing experience. I would just, you know, jump over there and do that. Yeah, you know, and, I, go ahead, keep going. Keep go going. ahead. No, I was just gonna say, you know, I gave up my permanent home. So I had been uh, I had a permanent home in San Francisco, but after being locked up in COVID, like for so long and not being able to go out and experience the world, I decided, you know, I'm gonna just abandon this uh, living in San Francisco and not have any home at all because then it will force me to never sit in one place. I will uh, always be moving around and always be having new experiences. So right now yeah. I'm literally living out of Airbnb. Like, You know what? I think that's actually really brilliant. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, he and his, um, he and his wife and they have like four or five kids. His wife has major wanderlust is what he described it as. And so they decided to travel the world. They're like, Hey, with remote schooling and education, they can do any, they can do education anywhere. Let's just go have life experiences. And so for the last couple of years, they've just been kind of traveling the world, living in like Asia, different places for like months to month. Of course, with COVID hitting, they, they weren't able to like travel as much, but they still have that same type of mentality of like kind of going and experiencing different things. It's powerful, man. It's so powerful. It's so and powerful. And it makes yeah. your life so much richer. So I've been staying one week in every location. So I'll go Love for it. one week. And, you know, I literally went across the country, you know, Santa Fe, all, you know, all the way across to the East Coast, up the East Coast. I'm in Boston now. Then wow. I go to Niagara Falls and then I go to Detroit, Chicago and on across the country. And wow. after... Yeah, and next I'm going to go overseas. So for now, I'm doing the U.S. tour. U.S. tour. So is this all one week stays in all these places, or do you go yeah, longer? I like a week because I'm working as I go. So okay. I need, I want to have some time to see the place. But so then I always have at least a couple days in every location to uh, hang out and just have fun. And yeah. then the rest of the time, I'm doing my work. I'm running my company. I'm yeah, talking it. to you. Yeah. No, I love it, man. Th th that is awesome. That is so great. I, one of the greatest joys I've had is to be able to travel for work and and to act like. And so the other day, not the yeah, it was like actually a week or two ago. I was in Hawaii filming a commercial, and I mean, dude, I'm flying to Hawaii to film a commercial. Like that's just amazing, right? It's so, so much fun. It's so much fun. And so I, I'm very, very fortunate to have had opportunities where I'm able to like uh, get out as well. And I'm like you in that sense. Like I don't like sitting around in just one place. I love to like be out and doing things and exploring and experiencing things. And if I'm not doing that or if I'm stuck in the same thing over and over and over again, um, I feel like the sense of like, like, like being stuck or feeling like uh, I'm being, I'm being Me trapped too. a little bit. So like, yes, like I'm not really living. Like, yes. <laughs> like yes. I'm trapped in, in a claustrophobic. So get, you know, COVID was tough, but now, mm -hmm. For hopefully we won't, you know, we won't have the variants won't take over and we yes. will be free to return to our wandering lives, our meanderings. Yes. And what I hope to do in the future is my mission is really to empower creators. So it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if they are an entrepreneur, if they're an artist, a, you know, filmmaker, writer, whatever it is. I want to empower them because I I really think everybody is an entrepreneur. Like it yeah. doesn't matter. You you have you you have to build something. Like so yeah. whether you're an a fine artist, you still have to build something. You have to build your name, your reputation, you have to get your work out there, you have to get yeah. galleries to take it. I have a lot of friends doing that and and I'm helping them. Like I'm working with one of one of my friends in San Francisco. He's this amazing artist called Brian Goggin mm. and he 
is uh, working on his next big sculptural project. He's been reasonably successful. He hasn't been like world famous, but in the Bay Area, he's pretty successful. Mm. I'm trying to help him get to the next level. So um, it, just in the same way, I would, I would mentor and help an entrepreneur. Oh, man, I love that. That's so great. Um, okay, so I want to wrap up with just um, two more questions, if that's okay. Uh, last thing is like, well, well, second last thing is, what is your greatest fear right now? My greatest fear is, I think my greatest fear is always that I won't be able to do what I'm doing now because of health reasons. Like, oh, okay. you know, people's health is very precarious. Yeah. My health is good now, but I've seen it with other people. Like with my father, uh, he got chronic fatigue syndrome and literally, uh, you know, that he was my age when he got it and that literally wiped him out. Like yeah. it was really, it was really sad because, yeah. and so I look at my own health and, and I'm very fortunate to be in good health. But if you ask me my greatest fear, it would be like to end up like my father and not yeah. in a position to really act on all these things that I still feel I want and need to do. Mm. Oh, that's a good answer. That's a great response. And then the last thing I was going to ask you, excuse me, <coughs> is um, what advice would you give your younger self, the, younger, the young Stephen Hoffman? The one that's like barely starting Lava Mind or the one that's like barely, uh, yeah, like designing all these different board games. And he's like, you know, bright eyes. I mean, you still have bright eyes, but you've also have bright eyes with a lot of experience. You yes. Know? So what would you give that? What advice would you give him? I would give my younger self the advice. You don't have to suffer to achieve your dreams. And by that, I mean self-imposed suffering. You're going to suffer no matter what. There is some suffering, but you don't have to make it worse uh, yeah. because it's not, the, um, it's, it's not how hard it is that determines whether you achieve your dreams. You can actually make it a, a very pleasant, joyful experience yeah. uh, going through. You, you can look at challenges as your enemy, like these obstacles that are keeping you down, pushing you back. You can criticize yourself, or yeah. you can say, um, these challenges are the adventure, right? They are, you know, what it's about. Like, why do mountain climbers climb a mountain, right? Because yeah. they want the challenge. So in your company, things are gonna go wrong. In your dream, whatever you're pursuing, there are gonna be things that are just come and slam you to the ground. Well, instead of laying on the ground, feeling sorry for yourself, tell yourself like get up i wanted to tell my younger self just get up and laugh at it like it doesn't mm. matter like if this company goes bankrupt it doesn't matter like yeah. that's part of what this story is supposed to be mm. that's what i wanted my that's what i came to understand and if i had understood that younger uh who knows like i could have yeah. i could have uh, well i might not be the person i am now so uh yeah. maybe i was lucky to have that experience but i also I definitely wouldn't have suffered as much in my early stages. Mm, I love that. That's awesome. That's great to get up and laugh at your challenges. I, that is powerful stuff right there. You know, well, I, I appreciate uh, you coming on here, Stephen. This is like, you, you've given me so many things to think about for myself and um, even like the way you're living currently, like traveling and like experiencing life while working. I'm like, man, can I do that? Is there a way 
that I you, can everybody listening can yeah. do that. I yes. will tell you because well, it, yeah. you can budget it. It doesn't cost more. Like it can sure. cost uh, can cost pretty much a little more for the rent, but not that much. But food is the same. Everything else yeah. is the same. And once you're going, you're you're going. You're, you're free. Going. Yeah, and you'll uh, open up a whole bunch of opportunities. No, I love that. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on this podcast. And uh, yeah, any last words before we wrap up? No, I just want to say if anybody wants to reach out to me for any reason, if you have some yes. crazy project you're working on or you you know you want to talk to me or whatever, go to founderspace.com mm-hmm. and we have a contact form there. Just put my name in the contact form and and I will I will respond for sure. Oh, also, yeah. um, I my books are on there, Surviving a Startup, Make Elephants Fly, they're all on there. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm also on the social networks. I'm on every social network, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it, Instagram. Just search for Founderspace. Founderspace. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. This has been great. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Lemonade Stand podcast. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use to be alerted when we release new episodes. We'd also love to hear your feedback in the reviews. And if you or someone you know has an awesome Lemonade Stand story, please reach out to us on social media and let us know. Thanks so much and have a great day.